We're reading this morning from Acts chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. Taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring him out of the crowd. And when they could not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those at Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there also, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on the way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Um, yeah, let's get stuck in. Um, if you haven't yet, open your Bibles to Acts 17, as Stephen just read so eloquently. Um, we are, we're really in our, uh, the third part of this series in the book of Acts. Uh, we've titled it Living as Resurrection People. Um, and I want to stop for a minute because I don't want that, that, that title to just wash over you because we've been in this for, well, we started this in April of last year, um, so we've been in it for a while, living as resurrection people, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, really, this book is the sequel to, to Luke's gospel. So Luke's gospel talks about you know, the, the coming of Jesus and his, his birth and his, his life and his death and his resurrection, um, and, and the book of Acts is the, the kind of carrying on from that. Um, so it starts with the resurrected Jesus, and in the first two chapters we see him uh, ascending into heaven, and then uh, sending his, uh, the Holy Spirit to, to come and dwell in and amongst his people, uh, to guide them, to lead them, um, just like he promised. And, and the rest of the book from here is just the knock-on effect of, of that, of, of really people encountering people who, who have experienced this, uh, this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus and his power. Um, so we see people who are, who are lost. Um, so the Bible describes these lost people as, as people who are dead in their trespasses, uh, being made alive with Christ. So they are being resurrected themselves spiritually, which is uh, far more important than uh, uh, your 
physical uh, health. <laughs> um, so this is the, the story of, of God's people expanding, of his, of his church, of his, his people uh, growing from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and keeps on going to the ends of the world, uh, just like Jesus promised it would. So in Acts 17, uh, the second half of the book of Acts is really about the Apostle Paul, uh, the greatest, most important missionary, apart from Jesus, that uh, the church has ever known. Um, and we're smack dab in the middle of his, his second missionary journey. Uh, so he has three um, that, that he has. This is the second one. He starts in Jerusalem. Uh, he makes his way up back to Antioch uh, through modern-day Turkey uh, and then over to, to Greece. So last week he was in uh, Philippi. Lucas talked about this. The condensed story of that, of last week, was what happened in Philippi is what always happened to Paul. Um, he, he goes into a city. He preaches the good news of Jesus as the Christ. Uh, some people uh, are persuaded and believe, and then some people uh, rise up opposition against Paul. Uh, persecution comes. Uh, he's beaten. He's, he's stoned often. Uh, well, once he's, he's imprisoned, uh, then uh, he's kind of forced to leave the city. Um, and this it happens over and over again. So it should almost feel like deja vu. Like we read that and you're like, what city are we in? What chapter? Um, this is just what happens over and over again. This, this is uh, the pattern of Paul's missionary strategy. Um, this was his plan and he just really stuck to it. And he stuck to it because it, it was working. So not in the eyes of the world. In, in the eyes of the world, you read this story and and you think he's failing because he goes in and he's beaten and he's kicked off to the next place. But what we see in the eyes of the Lord and, and because you are here is what he was doing was he was literally changing the world as he was going from city to city. Um, so when, when reading chapter uh, 16 and 17 this week, uh, there's two verses that really caught my attention. Um, the, so Paul in Philippi and then Paul in Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, really kind of mirror each other, so that kind of deja vu. Um, Paul preached the word. Uh, some people believe and follow. Some people get angry and jealous, and then they, they rise up opposition, and they accuse Paul uh, before the authorities. And these accusations in, in 16 and 17 are really what, what caught my attention. So uh, in chapter 16, Paul meets a, a, a demon-possessed girl, uh, and because of her uh, fortune-telling abilities, uh, it says that her owners, uh, she brought her owners a lot of wealth and gain. Um, Paul uh, eventually uh, commands this demon out of the girl in the name of Jesus. The, the, uh, the demon leaves her, and we're told that because she's of no more use to her owners, uh, they become angry. They uh, seize Paul and Silas, uh, drag him before the rulers, and, and this is what they accused him of uh, in, in chapter 16, verse 20. Um, they say that these men, they're disturbing the city. Uh, things were one way, and they've disrupted things, and they're, now they're another way. So, and then in chapter 17, um, again, Paul uh, proclaims Jesus as the Christ. Uh, some of the Jews get angry. They gather a mob. They, they, it says they set the city in an uproar, and they attack the house that they believe Paul to be in. They can't find him, so they bring out uh, some other Christians and... and uh, uh, and speaking of Paul and Silas, they, they accuse him of this. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Um, notice that little word also is really, really important. 
Um, so it's not that they've just turned this city upside down. They're not just disrupting the place here and now. Um, they, they were known for everywhere they went. This was their reputation for turning the world upside down, for disrupting the city. Um, this was Paul's new reputation. Um, and that's interesting, disturbing the city, uh, turning the world upside down. Um, and I think this is the big idea at work here. This is the, like, the thesis of our passage today. Um, the, the central verse, that this is the job of resurrection people. And this is the role that, that Paul played, and this is the role that you and I are called to play as well. And Christians are expected to be part of a Christ-centered, kingdom-advancing movement. And have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about changing the world? And I feel like that's an idea that you, you might be kind of fond of or uh, people admire when they're maybe a little bit younger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the world someday. I'm going to become the next world leader or whatever, astronaut, uh, and I'm going to change the world. Um, it's something that you admire. A lot of times you, you eventually just become too complacent to go about it, um, or that kind of talk just becomes triumphalistic and idealistic, and you're just naive. You're not going to change anything. Um, but this is what Paul's mission accomplished, or at least kick-started. And this is what, what you and I are called to join in on. Christ-centered, kingdom-advancing movement. Uh, this is essentially what our, what our church's mission statement is. So uh, Village Church desires to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, each other, and our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. That's... that's Big language, okay? I've kind of gotten used to this sentence. But the renewal of all things is is huge. A a gospel-shaped community, Christ-centered. People who love Jesus, first and foremost. Uh, They love each other. You love the church. Uh, You love your city, our neighbors, our community. And all of this is with the goal of bringing about world change. Of introducing Christ's upside-down kingdom. So, uh, welcome to the church. This is your new, like, your, your new job description. World changer. <laughs> um, so how, does, how is this done? Paul, Paul, Paul goes about upending the world. Um, and we see kind of over and over again, and in chapter 17, his primary way of doing that is he would go in and proclaim Christ as king. Um, it, it happens by the, the preaching and the teaching and also the hearing and the receiving of the word. Um, the preaching and the teaching of Christ-centered scriptures, like Paul did, impacts the world in a huge way because if Jesus is Lord, like the scriptures say he is, then everything changes. Your world is turned upside down. Have you ever experienced that? Your world, I almost said flip turned upside down like a freshman. Um, <laughs> um, your world is, is upside down because of your encounter with Jesus and you believe that he is Lord. Um, and this is what happens here in this chapter. The word of the Lord is spreading uh, into two more cities, Thessalonica and Berea. King Jesus is proclaimed. He's then embraced and exalted and, and everything changes by the preaching and the hearing of the word. Um, this is a short passage, uh, but it's really a wonderful example uh, of how to teach and receive those scriptures uh, faithfully. Um, it's obvious that, that Paul has uh, some pretty unique strengths in his teaching um, that we can learn from, but it's also uh, particularly exciting 
uh, how in these stops, uh, in these cities, the way uh, that the churches received the word. And we want to learn from that as well. So um, we're going to look at how the word was taught and how the word was received in both of these places. So first, firstly, uh, Thessalonica. Uh, we're really going to look at three lessons or three applications for, for our gospel ministry, for our mission strategy as a church. Um, so the way we've, we've structured Village is, is the main bulk of our mission, like Andrew said, happens in, in the church scattered in our missional communities that meet around the city. Um, so we have what's happening now, our Sunday morning gathering, our central gathering, um, where we all come together. This is really focused for, for the church, for Christians to come and, and be, be built up and to worship and to uh, sit under the word. But our hope is that this always is missional as well. Um, so we want this to be a place that an unbeliever can come into also, and they're not confused, they're not, uh, they don't really get it. Okay, they might not believe it, but they, okay, I get it, I, I, I understand what you're doing. Um, so we keep things simple, we don't try to use big Christian language and, and idioms. Uh, we just keep things simple and everything points to Jesus. Um, and so in that way, it's missional. But the bulk of our, of our real mission strategy, uh, our gospel ministry, uh, happens in our missional communities. And, and these are kind of three applications for us to, to, uh, that apply to, to that. Um, some of you might find it interesting that, that those missional communities are, a lot of that is based on Paul's mission strategy. Um, so f- for me, back in the day, you just immediately think of, of, of like the life of Jesus um, and, and uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself, um, the, uh, the table ministry of Jesus, fellowship, and yes, it is all those things. So I don't want you to hear me say that those aren't, missional communities aren't based on the life of Jesus. That's everything it is. Uh, but it's not a Jesus first Paul thing. Um, because what we see in Paul as an example of someone who encountered that Jesus, who was transformed by the gospel, and then showed us how to practically live this out and to go about upending the world. So uh, first thing, the first kind of application uh, is uh, that Paul went in and he established a point of contact with people. So as usual, Paul's uh, first point of contact is made in the Jewish synagogue. Um, as Lucas mentioned before, this was a, both a theological and a practical decision for Paul. So um, Paul would write a letter to uh, the Romans, uh, and Romans 1.16 says that the gospel, of, uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for, for everyone who believes. But he goes on to say, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek, or the, or the non-Jews, um, so in, in, in his mind, it was both a theological uh, approach and decision, but it's also a really practical one um, for two reasons. First off, because Paul was a, a Jewish rabbi, he, the, he, those people, he knew them, he knew how they worked, how they thought, um, he knew the, the culture of it all, so it was practical in that way to approach them. And then also the Jewish people had a, had a framework already for the, for the Messiah. They, they were already expecting him. They, they, were, uh, they were waiting on him. They just needed to see that Jesus was him, okay? So they were close already. So it, it, this is the quickest, most effective way to start spreading the gospel. Um, so he goes into the synagogue, engages the congregation for three consecutive Sabbaths. Um, so probably out of his respect and command as a rabbi, his, his eloquent teaching, Paul's allowed to preach for three weeks uh, consecutively, and it says that he encountered Jews, 
and God-fearing Gentiles who were familiar with the religious things in the Old Testament. So these would have been uh, non-Jews that, that were kind of convinced of these things. They weren't full-blown proselytes yet, but they, were, they uh, supported the synagogue. They, they, uh, they were, they were kind of there. Um, and this was Paul's way of connecting with the people in each city. Um, if there was a synagogue, he, he went straight there. He identified a point of contact. And this is what our missional communities should be doing as well. So each MC uh, looks around. Uh, you see who's in your group. Uh, is there a common uh, point of interest? Um, is it maybe you're all similar age? Maybe not. Great. Uh, maybe you all live in the same uh, neighborhood, um, a common friend group. I don't know. It's, it's going to be different for every, for every missional community. Um, so we're not all going straight down to the synagogue like Paul did to follow his exact example. Um, it, maybe for you group, it's, it's serving the city. Um, so we have a group that will uh, purposefully, intentionally uh, volunteer at maybe like a local community center uh, or a homeless shelter or you engage with the, your local school. Um, just serving the world, being Jesus to them, introducing them to the love and the care of Jesus uh, and, and this will bring about gospel uh, conversations. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of people in our church are involved in, in kind of sports ministries. So a great way to um, uh, gain people's trusts and, and to speak truth into their lives by being part of a team. Um, maybe you're able to just open your home and host events in your home. So in the home, in, in the living room, is, is where Village was born, really. Um, house gigs and countless parties and uh, uh, barbecues and Bible studies and just by opening the home. Uh, simple things like being intentional by go take walks in your neighborhood. Do the same uh, route over and over again. Um, frequent the same uh, cafe or pub. Um, these are all uh, great ways to connect with people so you can induce them to Jesus and have those gospel conversations. It, it, really, it's, a, it's a quite simple, Okay. Um, the idea is to work, to play, and enjoy life together with gospel intentionality uh, and to, to introduce people to Jesus and connect with them. Uh, secondly, we see Paul expounded the scriptures for people. And so verses two and three, um, uh, sorry, verses two to four, Paul's approach was really this kind of consistent exposition of scriptures in the synagogue. Um, his strategy, his strategy was to just explain the Bible to people. Um, and he did this in, in, in uh, four kind of main ways. So first off, he did so uh, Christocentrically, okay? So verses two and three um, really, should, really should remind you of, of another sermon uh, that we've covered before. Um, so it says that Paul uh, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and then rise from the dead. Okay, so that should remind you of uh, Jesus' sermon on the road to Emmaus. Okay, so Jesus, uh, in Luke 24, he, he was walking with his disciples that didn't really know who he was, and he was explaining the scriptures to them, it says. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was opening uh, the, the story of the Bible to them. And it's, his main point was the exact same point as Paul's here. It's the same sentence that, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer first. Um, so Jesus' disciples, didn't, they, didn't, uh, they couldn't see the truth until the Savior opened their minds to the Scriptures. 
And Paul knew that the same thing needed to happen here, that Jesus needed to, to uh, open the Thessalonians' eyes to this fundamental truth as well. So we don't know what, what text Paul preached from. It doesn't tell us. Uh, maybe it was, he, it was the same text that Jesus used. I don't know. Um, but we know that he didn't just merely present facts to them. He, instead, he, he shared with them uh, the, the storyline of the Bible, this story that climaxes in the person and the work of Jesus. So especially here, a lot of people know the stories of the Bible. I know Jonah. I know Moses and, and Daniel in the lion's den. Um, but, but a lot of people don't see the storyline of the Bible, the, uh, the, uh, this redemptive history, this flow of redemptive history of Jesus in all of those stories. And, and we have the opportunity to, to share with them that great story, which is incredible. Um, so his, his teaching was Christ-centered. Um, secondly, he, he expounded the scriptures boldly. So he, he, he took them through this. He showed them this suffering to glory agenda. It's necessary for Christ to suffer and then gloriously rise from the dead. And then in verse 3, he says uh, that Jesus, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Um, so he's, he's, he's making the hero of the Bible, Jesus, the hero of, of every message, so he, he taught on Jesus' nature, on his life, on his death, on his resurrection, on his ascension, on his reign, on his coming kingdom. And doing this took incredible courage from him. Because we've, we've already seen over and over again the, this kind of persecution that this Christ-exalting message got Paul into. Okay, the Beatings, stonings, prison, shackles. But nothing was, was going to stop him from exalting Jesus as the Christ. He was willing to endure, endure countless afflictions for proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Um, we learn uh, a lot from, from this time in uh, Thessalonica from Paul's later letters that he wrote back to the church. Um, uh, so keep your finger in Acts 17, but also turn over to 1 Thessalonians First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, uh, one to two. Uh, Paul comments on these on these trials, on these afflictions, and also on this God-given boldness in his preaching. And he says, uh, "For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you uh, was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously back in Philippi." We were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. And and we want that to happen here as well. So our prayer should be the same prayer that the disciples prayed way back in Acts 4. And I think Paul prayed this as well. So Acts 4.29 says, Lord, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Thirdly, uh, Paul expounded the scriptures intelligently. Um, I'm not suggesting that he taught in just a real mere academic way. Um, rather, he, he used thoughtful and, and a logical approach. Um, so look at the verbs that were used back in chapter 17 and verses 2 to 4. Uh, verbs like reason, uh, explain, prove, proclaim, persuade. So Paul is reasoning from the scriptures to make his arguments. He's not using the Bible in a real, uh, just purely superficial, mystical way. Uh, instead, he's speaking rationally. He's speaking logically. 
uh, to his audience. And one of the things you might have noticed that we pray here every week, and that Andrew prayed already, uh, is we pray that the Spirit would, would teach us, um, that he would open our hearts to, to the, to the uh, truth of the Scriptures, that, that um, he would teach and, and use us to, 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 to speak. Because um, Jesus says in John 14, he says that the Holy Spirit, he calls it our helper. Uh, he says, when that Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. And in John 16, uh, Jesus says that that spirit of truth comes and he will guide you into all truth. And so we depend on him to do that. We pray for that over and over again, that he would just use us as instruments to teach. Um, so in that, we, we bathe our work in prayer. So we don't just put sermons together and, then, and deliver them. Uh, we want them to be in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But in that, we, we follow Paul's approach, that, that in that Spirit-given power, we, we try to help people to think about the Bible, okay? So to consider what it means, what it implies, uh, how it all points to Jesus, okay? So the Spirit-given power isn't just this emotional thing. It's also a brain thing, okay? We, we, we don't leave our brains out of it. And we don't expect our hearers to either. Um, and let me encourage you to be patient in this, okay? Sometimes it takes a long time for someone to be persuaded, uh, to, to, uh, to be convinced that this good news is true, that it's actually good news and it's applicable to them. Um, so be patient, uh, be prayerful, be prayerful, be, be winsome, listen to people's questions, uh, and then try to answer them kindly and in a way that is faithful to the Bible and effective in communication. Um, and then, so his, his, his teaching of the scriptures was Christ-centered. He did it boldly. He did it uh, intelligently. And he did so with a personal integrity. Um, so Thessalonians 2, verses 9 to 12, Paul reminds the, uh, these believers of his godly lifestyle uh, he says, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked day and night that we might not be a burden to you uh, while we proclaim the gospel to you. Uh, you are witnesses and God also of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And he, he wasn't saying these things to brag about his life. He, he was saying them to, to defend his ministry in Thessalonica. He, he was assuring the church that, that he and his coworkers, they, they acted in conformity with God's law and also to human law. And so they weren't, they weren't rebels. They're like, we're not coming in as lawbreakers. We're not coming in as, as greedy moneymakers. Um, instead, they were role models who set an example of what it looks like to obey God. He, he was instructing the believers on, on how they, too, should be living out God's word. Uh, Tony Marita writes, writes on this, and he says that uh, Paul's life illustrated his teaching. Uh, his teaching explained his life, which I love. I, I love how connected the two things are. They have to line up in order for your, your hearers to, to be convinced and to believe you. And Paul would later write a, a letter to Timothy, his apprentice, and he reminded, reminded him of this same thing. So 1 Timothy 4.16 says, To keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, 
Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your, list, your hearers. So we must uh, constantly be evaluating both what you're saying and what you're living for the good of you and for the good of others. Um, has to line up. Uh, so Paul established a point of contact with people. He explained the scriptures for people. Uh, and the third thing, the third kind of application is we too should expect various responses from people. Um, verses 4 and 9, chapter 17, says that, that some of the Jews joined Paul and Silas. Um, it says a large number of Greek, uh, God-fearing Greeks believed and a number of leading women also believed. I'll say something about that in a minute. Um, but note that this wasn't just a, a pure mental assent um, to the truths that Paul preached. It says that they were moved. They were persuaded so they did what? They, they attached themselves to Paul and Silas. They, they joined themselves to Paul and Silas. And these people, they, they began to realize that God had sent them these missionaries who were bringing to them this life-changing word of God, okay? So like we said, if you believe that God is, that Jesus is the king, then everything changes. And they, this happened for them. They heard it and they, they thought to themselves, we need more of this. We can't get enough of this. So wherever Paul goes, I'm going to go. If, if Paul's teaching, I'm going to listen. If Silas is teaching, I'm going to listen to him. And this is what happens when people become believers, is they want to attach themselves to other believers. So when God opens your heart, you not only say, you are my God now, you also say, your people are my people now. Okay, so there's no lonesome Christians Okay, you're part of a family now. You're part of a people. You're not on your own. Peter would later say that you are being built up together. You're like living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house. Isn't that incredible and beautiful? Just a quick word on this number of leading women. Oftentimes we think in the ancient world of um, the mistreatment and the oppression uh, of women, um, which was certainly true in that Jewish culture. Um, so when Jesus came along and actually included women in, into his, his, his people and his movement, when he, when he ministered to the woman of the well, uh, not only that was that revolutionary and scandalous because uh, she was a Samaritan, but also because she was a woman. But the same didn't really hold true in, in Greek culture. So in Greek culture, women uh, held high political office. They were... Uh, they were powerful. They were uh, wealthy. So remember Lydia. She she was a businesswoman. She would have what these these leading women uh, most likely would have been uh, like patrons of the synagogue. So they they supported the work. They they uh, with their with their finances and and everything else that they had. Um. So so with that in mind, uh, those leading women who are patrons of the synagogue, they become believers and stop. Being patrons of the synagogue, you can see how the Jews uh, would become jealous, would become angry. Um, They're disrupting the city. They were turning the world upside down. But uh, great things are happening, okay? Um, A church is born. A church has been planted. It's growing. Uh, Believers are joining themselves together. Um, you You can imagine the excitement in this. Um, them coming together, uh, staying up late by the campfire. Uh, Silas maybe has his guitar out, playing the latest kind of worship song. 
Um, it, it, it's a wonderful time. It's beautiful. People are being built up. Uh, they're being strengthened. They're growing. Um, this real sense of enthusiasm. Um, but as with Paul's missionary pattern, we see that this isn't the case for everyone. Um, there, not everyone was delighted with this gospel transformation in the city. Um, so um, we see the conversion of many, uh, the, the devout Greeks, the, the women, uh, the, and this made the Jews jealous. So verse 5 uh, says, But the Jews were, were jealous, and, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to, be, uh, to the crowd. Um, so this happened in, Ac- in, in Antioch back in chapter 13. The Jews see their world as being uprooted. They get jealous. They get angry. They set the city in an uproar against Paul. So, so synagogue attendance, as we said, was waning. Um, uh, perhaps the, these Jews were on the way to synagogue, and they pass by Jason's house, and he sees that it's bursting with people. Maybe he has one of those large upper rooms, and people were meeting there. And he's singing, it's, there's people hanging out the window, and they get to synagogue, and there's only three or four people there, and they're like, where, where is everyone? Well, they're all over at Jason's house listening to Paul preach, and this made them mad. Um, so they hire a mob, they storm the, crowd, the house of Jason, uh, who's, who's opened his home as a gathering place for this new church. Uh, he's extended hospitality to Paul and Silas. This is something that we see happens over and over again when people become believers. And, and when they couldn't find the missionaries, they, they attacked Jason, the owner of the home, uh, and they brought him and some other Christians out before the authorities. Uh, and they, they really leveled three charges against the Christians. Um, firstly, as we said at the beginning, uh, they, charged, they accused Paul and Silas of being troublemakers, uh, of uh, turning the city upside down, of disturbing the city. Uh, they then condemned Jason for harboring the pair. And thirdly, they declared that the group was acting contrary to Caesar's decrees. They were, they were rebelling by declaring Jesus as king, um, and, and they were, so in so they were defiling Caesar. They, they were accusing them of treason, um, which actually wasn't true. Um, uh, James Boyce, he points out that, that in a way, they weren't really turning the world upside down. They were actually setting the world right. Um, uh, so they did affirm Jesus as, as king of kings. Uh, but Jesus' rule dictated not a revolution uh, against Rome, but actually respectful uh, uh, submission to human rulers. So Caesar was in no, was in no uh, trouble. They were, they were going to respectfully submit to the authorities. Um, but they accused him of that anyways because they were jealous that the Gentiles were, were becoming Christians instead of Jews. And they, they, were, they were losing power. They were losing uh, wealth and influence. So they resorted to mob violence. This sounds an awful lot like what happened to Jesus too, isn't it? If, uh, interestingly, that, that name Jason is actually like a Hellenized Greek version of, of Yeshua. That's Jesus' uh, Hebrew name as well. And they, what was happening to him was happening to these Christians here as well. Um, so verse 8 says that the city officials were uh, disturbed by these things, but they responded to the charges a little bit with caution. So they may have heard what happened in Philippi uh, three weeks ago, and they didn't want to embarrass themselves like they did. Remember, they beat them before they knew they were Roman citizens, and it was a little bit of a oops. Um, so instead, they forced Jason uh, to post a bond, 
Uh, so verse 9 says that they, they took money as security from him, uh, which is essentially saying uh, they, he, he had to make a deposit that, that would be lost if, if Paul and Silas stuck around and, and if there was more disturbances. Uh, so this meant that Paul and Silas uh, needed to move on. Uh, so they traveled through the night uh, 50 miles west of Berea. Um, sometime this week, read through First Thessalonians. Uh, do, do that. It, it's it's uh, this letter that Paul writes back to the church. And you learn a lot more uh, about what was happening here. Um, over and over again in, in this letter, uh, Paul would say how much he longs to see them again. Because he wouldn't again. He, he would try to come back, but he, he, he wasn't able to. Um, he longs to see them face to face. He says how, how they, um, they're constantly praying for them. Um, he, he, uh, how, how their faith and their, uh, their love for each other is such an encouragement to them. Um, so Paul had this deep love for these brothers and sisters, this deep pastoral love. Um, and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because what you see in, in the first chapter is, is actually the result of Paul's preaching of these Christ-centered scriptures to them. So this is what happened. We read in chapter 17, and this is the result of it. Um, so 1 Thessalonians 1 begins, uh, Paul, Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy, um, writing to the church in Thessalonians. It says, we give thanks to God always for you all, remembering, constantly uh, mentioning you in our prayers, Remembering before our God uh, um, and Father your work of faith and love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that you are chosen because our gospel came not to you only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, uh, if not, uh, for, not, uh, for not only uh, in, in the word of the Lord, sorry, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you uh, in Macedonia and the, and the other regions, uh, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Isn't that incredible results? So verse 5 says, says that be, the result of, of, of Paul's Christ-exalting preaching uh, was, was uh, verse 5 says the preaching was blessed by God, okay? So it wasn't just in word, but it was in power uh, with the Holy Spirit with full conviction of that. Verse 6 uh, says that the people received that word with joy in the midst of affliction. Later in chapter 2, it would say that they received it eagerly, Verse three, uh, or sorry, in verse three, verse six, uh, says that the, the believers tried to model their Christian lives after Paul. Um, and then uh, the next verse says that then they became models uh, themselves for the surrounding Christians. They became leaders, uh, this discipleship process that is happening. And then in verse eight, it says that the church became a missionary church. They became a church planting church, that, that this gospel was, was spreading forth into the area, all because Paul was proclaiming Christ in, in, Thessalonian, in Thessalonica that day. Isn't that credible? And I want to say this very humbly. Do you know what church this kind of reminds me of? This one. Um, not, not exactly, not perfectly. They weren't perfect. Um, but w when we meet people that, that are coming along here, 
And one of the things that we always ask is, why? Like, what, what is attracting you? What do you, what do you like? Or I, why are you here? <laughs> what, why? Um, and usually there's two, two main reasons. Uh, firstly is that there is a real sense of, of family, of community, of, of welcome. Um, and secondly, people are, uh, are open and, and they are hungry for, for the scriptures. So I, I want to say that in a way that we're not tooting our own horn uh, for our, our preaching. The, the point is that people are coming and they are hungry for the word. They, they are they are. They're wanting, they are receiving it eagerly and with joy. And as a result of that, um, lives are being changed. People are becoming more like Jesus. They're, they're being sanctified. They're maturing in Christ. Uh, sometimes really quickly, sometimes very uh, over a long period of time. And it doesn't stop there. That, that then we see that people are then becoming examples to, to their younger brothers and sisters. They are becoming leaders themselves. And then we're also on the brink of doing that same thing, of, of planting another gospel community back into uh, the Omer Road, the spreading of the good news, this, this gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, love each other, love their city, and, and all of this is to bring about the renewal of all things in, in our city. So be encouraged in that. Um, this is actually happening. Look around. It, it's happening Lord, continue to do your work in us. Continue to build your church. And uh, quickly, uh, um, I just want to look at Berea because we have a lot to learn from them too. Five more minutes. Uh, Paul uh, starts off in Berea uh, as usual by heading to the synagogue, by proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, by preaching and teaching the scriptures. And what I want you to see is really the, the Bereans' response to that preaching of the scriptures. They're, they're the way they received the scriptures. Um, because this is what you and I will be doing for the rest of our lives. Um, so here's really four uh, commendable qualities uh, in, in the Bereans' response, the, the way the Bereans studied the scriptures. So firstly, the Bereans studied the scriptures openly. Uh, verse 11 says that, uh, that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Um, this doesn't mean they were more like high-born than, than the Thessalonians uh, this word noble, it, it means more, they're more open and tolerant and, and generous. So Luke's saying that the Bereans had a more teachable spirit. Their, their hearts uh, were open to these things. They, they weren't hardened. And, and really, the, listen, this is the first step in becoming a student of the Bible. Um, so you want to you be able to read the Bible and understand it. This is the first step uh, to approach God's word with humility. Um, read Psalm 119 uh, this week as well. So here's your homework. First Thessalonians and Psalm 119. Read that this week. Um, Psalm 119 is filled uh, with this cry, this teach me, O Lord. Um, I am the creation. You're the creator. This is your word. I approach it humbly. Uh, James 121 says, says to humbly receive the implanted word or with, uh, with meekness receive it. It's able to save your souls. Um, secondly, the Bereans uh, studied the scriptures eagerly. So uh, again, in verse 11, it says that they, 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 uh, they eagerly uh, approached the scriptures. Uh, later, Peter, um, in his letter, uh, 
here just Christians to study the Bible in this same way, uh, with the same eagerness and, and passion. And he, he likens it to the same eagerness and passion that, that a newborn baby has for milk. Um, so we have newborn babies. We have one in our family. And, and when that baby is hungry and is longing for that milk, it cries out for it. It, 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 it's, it doesn't stop until it gets it. We have this, Nona's like 11 weeks old, and she, she can't move, but she somehow like wiggles her way closer to mama. Like, uh, he, he's, First Peter uh, says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Is this, how, is this how you feel about the scriptures? Do you long for it with that same longing and eagerness? Uh, we have this saying, really amongst our leaders, to remind ourselves, we have the saying of uh, a substance over hype. Um, that's the way we want to do things here. Because we want to be a church that is filled with people uh, longing for, for real biblical food rather than like Sunday morning entertainment. Um, that's not the church we want to be. So we don't hype things up, uh, come along, uh, and we're going to do the same thing every week. We're going to open the scriptures and sit under them and receive them uh, eagerly and uh, passionately. Um, Psalm 119, verses 130 to 131 says, uh, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And the psalmist says, I open my mouth and pant. Because I long for your commandments. Give us a Berean appetite for your word, Lord. Uh, thirdly, uh, the Bereans uh, study the scriptures carefully. Um, so Luke is commending the Bereans uh, for their spiritual discernment. Uh, they weren't gullible. Uh, they didn't just take everything that Paul said as, as automatically true. Uh, they, they listened to Paul, and then they, they proceeded to do their, their homework. So they, they examined Paul's claims about the Messiah, and it says they did so to, to see whether they were true. Um, and, and this is what you should be doing as well. Uh, examine what you're being taught. I say that as the teacher today. Uh, examine what you're being taught. Uh, bring your Bible to, to church. Open it. Follow along. Um, uh, engage your brains. And then go home and do the same. Open, open your scripture still. Read it. Study. Fact check it. Um, see if these things that we're saying is true. Uh, let me remind you that, that everything that is said up here it, um, is subject to the word of God. Um, everything that is said up here is to be scrutinized by the word of God. So that's why the only thing we do up, up here uh, is the reading of the scriptures. Um, then we come down here underneath it to sit underneath it uh, to, to, to preach and to be, for it to be scrutinized by that, that, that word. And that's, that's your job uh, as well. Um, to see it with your own eyes is to own it with your own heart. Don't just, don't just come and, and receive and then go on. Uh, make it your own as well. Um, and then lastly, the, the Brians study the scriptures daily. Um, so they did more than just uh, study the, the Bible on the Sabbath once a week. Uh, they, they actually met daily to do this. Um, why, why did they meet daily? Because uh, uh, Paul's claims had eternal ramifications. Um, 
this, this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 4 uh, when he said that, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, so yeah, bread is, is going to keep you alive physically. Um, but if we learn anything from Paul, uh, is, it's that physical health has, has little consequence in the grand scheme of things. Paul, Paul was not really concerned about physical health, was he? Um, so bread, food, it keeps you physically alive. But, but Paul would say, yeah, great, but, but what about your spiritual health? That's far more important than your physical health. And the Brians understood this. Uh, so they studied the scriptures openly and eagerly and carefully and daily. Uh, and just like in Thessalonica, the results were the same. Uh, many, many believed, uh, and a church was born. Um, and again, many were agitated and stirred up crowds, uh, and persecution came upon those people. Um, in the very, very early days of, of village, uh, one of the things that we, we said was that we wanted to be a church that um, if we weren't around anymore, if, if we were just ex- ceased to exist in the community, that that community would, would mourn, that we wanted to be a place that people would be sad if we weren't there anymore. Uh, we wanted to be a church that, that brought about the renewal of all things, okay? we, that, that, that helped usher in the kingdom of God here in Belfast. So this, this upside-down kingdom where the weak become strong, where the poor don't remain poor anymore, where the, the marginalized and the lonely, uh, they come and they find a home. They, they, they join a family. So we, in that way, we wanted to be good for the city. And one of the things that, that this text uh, has taught me is that if we remain faithful to the, the, the scriptures, and teaching that in, in, our, in our central gathering and in our missional community and, and all the other parts of our lives, if we preach the word like Paul did, boldly, intelligently, Christ-centeredly, uh, with personal integrity so our lives match up with our teaching, then, then this happens, okay? The kingdom of God would enter into Belfast. People, people would mourn if we weren't to be here anymore. But the other thing that the, the text has taught us is, is that that won't be the only result. Some, some will believe and be persuaded and enthused, and, and others will rise up against this message of the gospel, this upending of the world, the turning upside down of the world. So we're promised that persecution will come. Fires of suffering will come. Not, not everyone will be happy about this world change. So, so be ready for that, church. Um, Paul, Paul encourages them and us in, in his letter, 1 Thessalonians. He, he says that, that you are not in darkness. He's encouraging them. You are children of light. Children of the day, he says. You, you're not of the night. You're, you're not of the darkness. And Peter uses this same language. He says, you were brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light. In, in those fires, you, your destiny uh, is not for wrath, okay? That, that's not what's happening. Your destiny is to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. And remember that during those, those fires of persecution. So, so in that, be near to each other. 
Be, uh, encourage one another. Be near to Jesus. He, he will draw near to you. Like the Bereans, immerse yourself in the word. Okay, that's how you're sanctified. That's, that's how you, you, are, uh, you scrutinize everything else in, in, in your life. Uh, depend on the Spirit. Okay, he's there to help you. He's there to guide you. He's there to teach you. He's there to comfort you. He's there to empower you. Those fires of pure persecution will come. And, and as we see, this is going to look different for, for, for every church around the world. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different for us. What are fires of persecution like for us here in the West? Um, Andrew sent, uh, he sent a, a message around. Um, we have uh, friends in, in Turkey. And they, they're a, a fellow Acts 29 church. Just, I wanted to read this letter to you. Um, do me a favor, don't take pictures of this. Um, this is just for us here today. Turkey is where Paul was as well. The same, Turkey is where Paul was, was stoned for the preaching of the gospel. And just as we end... Let's pray for these guys. Um, these are our, our brothers and sisters. Um, here they are. <laughs> um, here's a, f- a few bits to, to pray. Pray for wisdom, like they said, for the church and, and, and how to do that, how to approach media, how to shepherd the flock well. Um, pray for leadership uh, in their church. Pray, f- pray for safety for the church body. Um, for the enemy to be put to shame, and most importantly, that Jesus to be exalted, no matter the cost. Come on. That's what Paul um, wanted, okay? Um, let's just take a, a minute here, turn with uh, who you're next to, if you feel comfortable, and let's just pray for David and Monica. I'm just gonna end by praying that prayer in Acts 4, 29. It just seems so relevant. 2,000 years ago and now. Um, Acts 4, 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We're going to end by... uh, partaking in communion. Um, So we do this every week to remind ourselves of why you would even face trials, why you would even face persecutions like this. Uh, There's no point in that except for uh, the person and the work of Jesus and what he's done for you and me. Um, So this, this meal, we break bread to symbolize the breaking of his body for us. And we, we dip it in wine to symbolize his blood being shed for us. So, so come and take this um, in light of all of this. How serious it is, but the joy that we have in this. And there's going to be uh, two sessions, two uh, places to come. So come uh, expectantly, uh, come together, come joyously. Um, we thank you, Lord, for 
uh, for dying for us. We thank you for taking away um, uh, our sin and the wrath that is due us and for taking that onto yourself. You gave us your righteousness and we stand uncondemned. We stand as, as children of the Almighty God, our Father in heaven. We have nothing to fear. We can go out in all boldness and proclaim you as king. Help us to do that uh, here in Belfast, Lord, uh, no matter what. So uh, we praise your name, Jesus. Um, so come, let's stand, let's, let's sing, um, and come and receive.